All right, we're so glad that you chose to join us for service today. And once again, we are so, so happy that we have this privilege to even in the virtual space, meet with one another and worship the living God. Now, what we've been doing is we've been going through our new series for the year, which is called Abide, the power and beauty of God's word. And today, what we're gonna talk about specifically is the fact that the word of God sets us free that the Word of God, God uses it to set us free in our hearts, in our minds, in our emotions, in our souls, and giving us the ability to love Him, to follow Him, to love others, to interact with the world around us without encumbrance or hindrance that ties people up in so many ways. And so we know that Jesus, whenever He was speaking in His earthly ministry, He said, these words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And whenever he's talking about the word being spirit, it's we know that the word of God also says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and there is freedom. And so in everything that we're talking about today, when we talk about the word sets us free, we're talking about that God uses his word by the power of the Holy Spirit to set us free in every way. And so we're going to focus on this statement today that Jesus is from the Father and speaks his words and always pleases him. Therefore, those who abide in Jesus' word are truly his disciples. They will know the truth and the truth will set them free from their sins. That's good news for us. It's the good news of the gospel, and it's what we're going to dive into today. So before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and it's true that your word truly does set us free. God, we're asking you today that you would help us to know the power of your word, the beauty and the power of your word as it relates to every aspect of our mind, will, and emotions. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so when we talk about the word abide, what we're talking about really is an experiential word. And we don't use it often, but it's really a word that means to live in. When we want to abide in God's word, what we want to do is we want to live in it. And we have an example of how we live in the United States right now to uh, use it as an example. And whenever we live in the U.S., we're able to describe and experience the things that happen in the U.S. by describing the weather of our particular city or area. We're able to describe the culture. We're able to describe the people and even the history, the present history that we've experienced over the past couple of years. Now, when we're talking about abiding, it implies things such as these. We're able to, through God's word, actually experience God and experience the power of his name, of his spirit, and also his gospel working in our lives. So abide is an experiential word where, when one, where one gets to be embedded, wrapped around, and feel that the particular world of his word is actually manifesting in our lives. Now, typically when you abide or where you, when and where you abide, you abound. Meaning where you choose to set and dig in your roots, where you choose to set and dig in your faith, 
that's where you're going to abound, right? Because Jesus also said, um, meaning that when um, the Father spoke through the apostles, he said that we're going to reap what we sow. And so if you sow into the word of God and you live in the word of God, you're going to abound in it because whatever you sow into that you're going to reap from. As an example, if you abide in fear and are always sowing into thoughts that are fearful about what may or may not happen tomorrow, what's going to happen? You're going to abound in fear, right? Always being nervous about not only your present, but the future and things that are to come. But this series is meant to help us not just cognitively, but emotionally and in a heartfelt manner, bring us to what it means to live in and live in that world that is God's word, that we would be able to abound in his promises towards us, which ultimately sets us free. Now, Psalm 119 gives us a description of what we experience when we abide in the word of God. And I encourage you to read it. It's the longest Psalm and it's um, repetitive in certain extent to a certain extent. But what it's doing is it's digging you down deep into the benefits of learning to live, to abide in God's word. Well, Psalm 119 talks specifically about when we abide in the word, it guides us. Number two, it keeps us from sin. Number three, it preserves our lives. Number four, it comforts us. Number five, it makes us wise and is described as a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path, and it ultimately becomes the joy of our hearts. These are all the benefits of the Word of God when you learn to not just hear it, not just peruse through it in a cursory manner, but learn to build your life on it and really think about the word as Joshua was commanded to do in Joshua um, chapter one. Think about and meditate upon the law of the Lord day and night, day and night, which really there's no in-between time. Either it's day, it's afternoon, or it's evening. And really he's saying in day and in night, meditate on the word of God and the benefits of the word of, of the word of God will come to you as you learn to live in it. In the New Testament, the word becomes even more real because it is now the door to relationship with Christ. It's not just talking about benefits that you experience from a distance or benefits that you have going through certain types of motions, but literally the word is the avenue through which we have relationship in Christ. And so today, if you have your Bible open to John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 23 and read through 26. It says this, he, meaning Jesus said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And what he's talking about is he who is the Messiah, he who is the Christ, he who is the Savior of the world, the unique Son of God. He went on to say, um, the scripture went on to say, so they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me, meaning the Father, is true, and I declare to the world what I've heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, 
and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, there you have that. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Well, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so again, Jesus in the New Testament is reiterating the power of the word of God in our lives. But he's saying it in such a manner that when you abide in the word of God, that the truth of who Jesus is, is going to set you free. But it's even more than that. Because if you remember later, Jesus would say in John chapter 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father who we all want to worship and serve except through me. Because of ultimately what Jesus would do on the cross, dying for your sins and mine, that we might be reconciled to a holy and a righteous God. And rising from the dead so that we could have not only forgiveness of sins, but new life in him. But that new life starts when he sets us free from our slavery to sin in which we were once bound prior to coming to the truth of his word. And so the good news is, is that the book of John helps us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that in him we may have life. Jesus is the past, in the past few chapters was using different festivals to reveal who he is to the people. And this is one of them when he reveals that he is the truth that sets one free. So ultimately what Jesus was saying is that not only is the truth a concept, meaning knowing the difference between right and wrong, but truth is in fact a person. And Jesus said, I am that person who is the truth, and that truth will set you free, meaning through relationship with me, you'll be set free from the sin that once was destroying your life. Have you been living in addictions? God says through relationship with the truth, who is Jesus, and the truth of his words, he can set you free. Have you been living in some sort of, um, uh, um, some sort of extramarital relationship? Well, he says you can, in repentance, cut it off, come back to faith in God, and choose to live righteously before him. Have you been living in a manner in which you've been living in fear of hoarding your finances because you thought there would be lack for you if you didn't do all that you could just to store up and not be generous and give to the world in, around you? Well, God says through his word, he gives you the faith to be set free there. Have you been living in sickness and disease? Well, here's the good news. Through his word, he gives you the faith to believe him for a healing now and also for supernatural healing in the age to come when there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more crying, no more disease because of his word towards you. 
And this is, these are all the truths that are embedded in God's word and Jesus the Son. Now, as far as the festivals go, there were four Jewish sacred days. John chapter 5 through 10 is a recollection of stories that happened on four different Jewish sacred days in which Jesus was revealing himself as the truth in God's word. The first was the Sabbath, where God was healing a man on the Sabbath. That was found in John chapter 5. The second was the Passover, where Jesus was miraculous, miraculously providing food for thousands who were coming to hear him and really be touched by his supernatural hand. Number three was the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a recollection of the wilderness wanderings and Jesus at the temple courts, which was found in John chapter 7 through 10. It's where we find ourselves in our story today. And number four was Hanukkah, the rededication of the temple that was celebrated in John chapter 10. Now, although not stated, John 8, verses 23 through 36, which we just referenced, may have taken place shortly after the close of the Feast of Tabernacles while Jesus was still in the city. Now, why is that important? Well, because through the festivals and through Jesus revealing who he was as the Word of God, he made several I am statements. And in those I am statements, you're seeing the power of who he is as expressed through his Word. So that when we're living in his Word and we're living in him, then we're able to experience the power of that which he says he is. What are those seven I am statements? Well, in John chapter 6, verse 35, 41, 48, and 51, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So that if you learn to feed on Jesus' words, then you will no longer be hungry and chasing after the things that the world is so hungry for all the time and not being able to experience the security, the love, the sense of purpose, the sense of destiny, the sense of I am a significant and have importance in, um, in this world in which I live. Jesus said, learn to feed on me. You don't have to be hungry for those things anymore because I'll define each of those things for you. In John 8, verse 12, number two, Jesus said, I am the light of the world who shows you how to best live and how life functions best. Meaning to live a life of blessing, God says, follow the light. Jesus says that's found in his word. Number three, Jesus says in John 10 verses seven and nine, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the door of the sheep that leads them into safe pastures. Remember Psalm 23 that many of you grew up listening to or hearing about where he says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul when it's been buffeted by the world around me. Well, all of those things he makes available to us through his word. But he, Jesus says, I am the gate that opens the door for the sheep to enter into that place. Number four, he says, I am the good shepherd in John 10, 11, and 14. Well, that's what I already referenced. He said it in Psalm 23. He's repeated it again in John chapter 10. Number five, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Pastor Coles preached about that last month in our Vision 2022, where Jesus is not just providing the way to a resurrection, but he is the source of resurrection life for each and every one of us. He said that in John 11:25. Numbers of six, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which we already mentioned in John 14, 15. And then finally in John 15, verses one and five, he says, I am the true vine the sustenance that you need, the animating presence that you need for life and life abundant is found in relating with Jesus on a daily basis. When you're dealing with the pressures and the responsibilities of the world, he says, remain in the vine. But what does it mean to remain in the vine? It means to remain in his word. That's why Jesus in John 15 says, if you remain in me through prayer, and my words remain in you. You can even ask him for anything and he'll give it to you. Why? Because you'll have been renewed in the mind of Christ, desiring that which God desires, coming into agreement with it, and then being able to walk with him in the blessing that he brings as you ask him for the things that are already on his heart. John 8, 20, um, 8 23 through 36 takes place after Jesus' proclamation of the second great I am, being I am the light of the world. And Jesus professes to, the, to be the genuine light by which truth and falsehood can be distinguished and by which direction can be established in our lives. That's one of the benefits of the word of God. Truth and error can be distinguished and we need that in our world today when people are confused and the boundary lines of morality are continually being moved in the world in which we live. We need a standard of truth between right and wrong, but also the direction that we should take. Well, God's word and particularly living in it through relationship with Jesus is what provides that direction that we need. And in this particular verse, John 8, the Pharisees were challenging the claims of Jesus as legally a testimony concerning oneself would be unacceptable because it would presumably be biased. Yet Jesus um, proclaimed to be an adequate and a, an authoritative representative of who he was backed by the Father. Chapter 8 begins with Jesus at the temple setting the woman caught in adultery free displaying both truth and grace while exposing the darkness in her accuser's lives. And using that as a launching pad, he declares, I am the light of the world who delivers us from the power of darkness. So even though the woman was caught in sin that was an error in her adultery, Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone and I'm bringing her into relationship with me so that you can understand that if she was sinful and was able to, through repentance and faith, have new life by abiding in Christ and his word, so you could too, no matter where you're coming from today. The Pharisees then have a debate with Jesus in John chapter 8 about his credibility, while Jesus used this to show his divine side, desiring to strengthen the belief of those that have faith in him. 
the passage that we're dealing with is part of the ongoing conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees to help them see that Jesus' version of truth and freedom is of a different level and quality than the self-help books that you may experience in the world. He says, if you choose to come to my truth, you won't just know just a 10-step program or a five-step program that you need to go through to make you a better person. But the reality is, is that you abide in my word, you'll live in relationship with me, and my power will set you free. It's of a different quality and type. Now, there's a characteristic of the truth. And in John chapter 8, the truth was not merely referring to the law, but it was referring, again, as I said, to the living Son of God. Now, there are differences that I want to point out, at least three of them. And the first that Jesus was pointing out was that there was a difference between heavenly and earthly truth. That's what he talked about in John 8, 23. Jesus claimed that he belonged to a totally different world from that of his questioners. And to him, the difference was natural. To them, it was unnatural, something they could only explain by assuming that he belonged to the realm of the dead. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was saying, literally, I'm from a different world, and therefore my power to set you free is going to be otherworldly. To Jesus, the difference was natural because he had a worldview that was biblical. And so it wasn't a strange thing for him to say, I'm from another place and my power is going to be otherworldly to set you free. And when you choose to abide in this truth, it will truly set you free in ways that other programs could not. But Jesus had to come from the presence of God and he asserted that only by faith could they attain the freedom that he had for them. That was the first difference between an earthly and a heavenly truth. The second type of truth distinction of truth that Jesus was making is he was saying that there's a difference between relating and reasoning. There's a difference in truth between just relating to the truth and reasoning with the truth. And Jesus demonstrated a relationship with the Father through conversation with the crowd. What do I mean by that? Well, in verse 18 of chapter 8, the Father, it said that Jesus said that the Father sent Jesus. Those were relational terms. He was in relationship with the Father, and the Father sent him. In verse 28, it said that the Father taught Jesus. In verse 29, it says the Father was with Jesus. And in verse 29, again, Jesus does what is pleasing to the Father. So everything that Jesus talks about in terms of God, is relational. Now, the Pharisees, however, whenever they were talking about truth, they took the, pro- the approach of mere reasoning. In verse 19, they said, where is your father? In verse 22, they said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? And in verse 25, he says, who are you? Explain to us who you are. So Jesus' understanding of truth was very relational in relationship to the Father, while the Pharisees were coming from the outside and often missed the Lord because they only wanted to reason their way to truth and not understand the truth relationally as abiding in God's Word. 
and through their reasoning, the Pharisees failed to understand that Jesus was speaking to them of God, and they missed the point of Jesus' unique relationship with the Father that Jesus was, in fact, calling us into by his word today. Not only did they repudiate, meaning that not only did the Pharisees repudiate Jesus' claims, but they completely rejected his person because they understood the truth as only a concept and not a person to be known. Now, to discover and embrace the truth that is Jesus Christ requires more than reasoning. We're not saying that you have to get rid of reasoning, but we are saying that his word points to relationship that is more than reasoning. God wants you to experience him by learning to abide in his word. Wants you to experience him by learning to abide in his truth. And to discover and embrace the truth that is Jesus Christ requires starting a relationship with him. It's what we invite you into today because it's what the Father has been beckoning you to do throughout your lifetime. Now, the third distinction that Jesus makes in this passage between, between different types of the truth is a very important one. is a son versus a slave. And sin in this passage is in a verb tense indicating a habitual, continual action. Meaning that what we're not saying here is that if you become a Christian or if you've been living as a Christian, the expectation is, is that you will never sin. But what we are saying is, is that when Jesus sets you free, there shouldn't be an ongoing habitual practice of sin, a proactive practice of sin, so that you remain just as you were prior to coming into relationship with Christ. The person in habitual sin, according to Jesus in John 8, is a slave to sin. And a slave, according to Jesus, hear this clearly, has no security for he can claim no family ties that entail an obligation toward him. The son of a family, on, another, on the other hand, or a daughter, has permanent status within it. Jesus enlarged this analogy by stating that while a son is rightfully a partaker of family privileges, the son can actually confer such privileges. And as the Jews thought that they were descendants of Abraham with whom God had established a permanent covenant, they considered themselves exempt from any spiritual danger. And you may be able to relate to that today. You might be able to say, hey, I grew up in church. I grew up going to Sunday school. I grew up having a mother or a father or a grandparent who was very spiritual. And therefore, I have some sort of connection to God because of what they did, my lineage, my spiritual lineage. But Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you will know whether you are a slave or an actual child by how you live. And if you are living in habitual sin, not abiding in God's word, if you are a practicer of sin, it does not matter, like the Israelites, what your spiritual heritage is per se. You are still a slave, according to Jesus. And if you live as a slave, you have no permanent place in the kingdom of God. But if you choose to obey his teaching 
and choose to abide in his word, as Jesus was talking about in John chapter 8. He says, then you will know the truth. Then you will actually know Jesus through relationship, and Jesus himself will set you free. You'll be a son or a daughter of the king and have power to live as an heir of his kingdom. And that's the promise that God makes to you today. The hope for real freedom does not lie in the ancestry of Abraham or in your church life growing up, but it comes from the action of Christ making you a new creation in, to, um, in him. So how do we respond to this reality? Well, there are three responses that we need to have. Number one, you need to accept this reality. Verse 30 says that when Jesus spoke, many believed in him. The first response to truth is to believe and accept it. When the Pharisees heard Jesus speak, they became opposed to him. Yet there were many who heard the same words and believed in Jesus. They believed despite the evident opposition of the religious leaders. And the conversation shifts as Jesus starts speaking to those who believe. Though there were still gaps of understanding in the crowd, just like you might say to yourself, I don't understand all that the Bible is talking to me about. I've tried to read it before, but Genesis and Revelation, there are potholes there that confuse me, but that's okay. We're here to tell you that's okay. Though there were still gaps of understanding, even in Jesus' time in the crowd, Jesus spent time revealing more about himself to them. There will be gaps in our understanding as we choose to believe in him, yet these will be revealed more and more to us as we journey with him. This is the first step, to accept the truth, accept the word, and learn to commit yourself to it, abide in it, meaning study it so that you might grow in understanding. I recommend to each of you an ESV study Bible by which you can not only grow in the knowledge of God's pure word, but then you can get cultural and historic context to that which you're reading. It's a great resource to you. But that's the first way that we respond to the truth is we accept it. The second thing that we need to do is act on it. Verse 32 says, you will know the truth. And know in this context is a Greek word, genosko. And genosko is when you experientially learn something. Knowledge possessed through the intellectual process of learning is one thing, but knowledge gained by experience, by an active relationship between the one who knows and the person or thing known, is far superior to the former. Genosko is that knowledge that comes not just by reading and listening, but by action and actually obeying the Lord. So you will learn by doing what he says and therefore living in him and abiding in him. You may intellectually know some truth, but you don't really know it experientially until you come to obey the truth. So this, let me break it down in a different way. What I mean by this is you don't know what you actually think you know about God until you're putting his word into practice. You don't know what you think or say you know about God until you're actually obeying his words. Your obedience proves and shows what you know. Your obedience shows and proves your repentance. That's why Paul says, prove your repentance by your deeds. 
And a person must be determined to obey the word if he or she expects to understand it. Number three, the final way that you have to respond to the truth is abide in it. Verse 31 of that John 8 chapter says, abide in my word. And the word abide was, again, a Greek word, meno. And in simple terms, abide means to remain in the same place or position over a period of time. Jesus was implying the maintenance of a stable and consistent fellowship with God. And to abide in Christ means to depend completely on him for all that we need in order to live for him and serve him. It is a living relationship, not a static one. And as he lives out his life through us, we are able to follow his example and ultimately walk as Jesus did. There is nothing between us and our Savior, no sin unjudged and not put away. This is ultimately how the truth sets us free. We allow God access by his word into every area of our lives, whether it be how you treat your spouse, how you raise your children, the way that you interact with the world around you by the fruit of the flesh or the Holy Spirit, the way that you use your finances, the way that you use your time, the way that you use your talents, the relationships that you maintain. This all needs to be governed by the Word of God. This is how you abide in it. So our response today ultimately needs to be three things as well. We need to pray. If you do not know God, now is your opportunity to come into the truth, not just intellectually, but also relationally. By choosing to turn away from your sin, repent, and believe the good news that he has for you, that you could in fact be set free by his gospel. You need to repent, put your faith in Jesus, the truth. Number two, you need to learn to practice. For those who already believe in God, you can continue in your belief. And because it's not just a one-time activity, you can practice abiding in Christ by learning to commit yourself daily to the study and practice of God's word. And then number three, we can all point to Jesus, meaning that everyone should learn to reach out to others. Truth not only sets us free, but when we have received Christ's joy and freedom, it compels us to help others to be set free as well. It's no wonder that John in John 20, 21 said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, speaking of the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. So can we as disciples not only commit to practicing his word, but then also commit to being sent to see other people set free as well. Let's do that today by closing in prayer. I want to first pray for that first set of people who say, you know what? I've heard about God's word, but much like the Israelites, I might have been around the things of God, but never really set free in my soul from my sin. I've never repented, and therefore I live still to this day as a slave to sin, but I don't want it anymore, and I want to be set free by the word of God today. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I thank you that you are loving towards me and that you adopt me into your family by faith in the words that you've spoken through your son, Jesus Christ. But I admit to you today that I've been a sinner, that I've lived as a slave to sin, and by my own choices and rebellion, I deserve death and hell. 
but I don't want it. And I thank you for sending your son to speak the truth to me, to go to the cross, to pay for the sins that I've committed against you. And because he was innocent, three days later, rise from the dead so that I could have forgiveness of those sins and new life in you. God, would you forgive me today of those sins? And would you set me free in my mind, my will, and my emotions from the sin that set me against you? God, I'm asking you to make me a new creation today. Not only forgive to forgive me, but to make me new and set me free that I might be called a child of yours, an heir of your kingdom. God, I thank you for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to make this all possible. I proclaim him my Lord today, and I thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to walk out this life of freedom in Christ. If you need somebody to pray with you, there is a prayer button right below that you can press for people to stand with you in prayer even today. And for the rest of us, let's go back into worship, committing to abide in God's word, to experience him and experience the freedom of that word as we choose to not only live it out, but then also make that freedom known to others. The good news of the gospel in Jesus' name. All right, let's go back into worship now. Again, what a privilege it is to be able to honor the Lord in the celebration of communion uh, here at the end of service. We are in celebrating communion, honoring the Lord's sacrament that he instituted on the night of his betrayal, where we're continually and forevermore until his return, keeping the main thing, the main thing, honoring the broken body, the spilled blood, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that provided a way for you and I to come back into friendship with God, to be reconciled to him, to be forgiven of our sins, and to really be made new to go on in the purposes and plans of God for our lives. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the Gospel of Mark actually makes mention of how the Lord instituted this sacrament of communion. And it says this in Mark chapter 14, verse 22, and as they were eating, he, meaning Jesus, took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take this, take rather, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so whenever we honor the uh, sacrament of communion, what we're doing is we're first taking of the bread, which Jesus in this passage said was his body. And it would be the body of Christ that was broken for us on the cross, where Jesus was taking the wrath of God upon himself for your sins and mine and for the sins of all of humanity, so that by turning to Christ in repentance and faith, in what Jesus has done for us by his death, burial, and resurrection, we might not only be forgiven of our sins, but have new life in him. And so first, as we take of the bread and honor the broken body of Jesus, let's make this a moment of repentance, where if there's anything that you need to turn from, that the Bible calls sin, 
whether it be sexual morality, drunkenness, any type of addiction, any type of hatred, bitterness, or dissension with you and another person. Let's take a moment to turn away from those things today in prayer as we look to God to cleanse us by not only his broken body, but then his spilled blood. So Father, we thank you so much for your broken body towards us today. And we thank you that Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross that we might be brought back into friendship and reconciled with a holy and righteous God. And so on this day, God, please forgive us our sins and help us to live free of them in love and obedience to you to bring you pleasure and joy from this day forward in Jesus' name. And as you've honored your Lord with his broken body, you can take of the bread. But as the scripture says, it wasn't just his broken body, it was also the blood of a new covenant that Jesus was pouring out on the cross for us. And the Bible clearly says that the spilled blood of Jesus, when we were once far from God, the blood of Christ draws us near. And why does it draw us near? It's because this blood, this pure blood of Christ, cleanses us. It absolves us from our guilt and our shame and our sin and washes us clean that when we stand before God, we might stand before him set apart with the righteousness of God, with the righteousness in the record of Jesus Christ, and stand before him innocent and new. And so as we honor the spilled blood of Jesus, we remember the spilled blood of Jesus. You can take of the juice. So Lord, again, we thank you for both your broken body and your spilled blood for us this day. We keep the main thing, the main thing and say, God, this day, would you renew in us all the joy of our salvation, that we might run with you, worship you, and really honor you in all of our ways from this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen. And if this is your first time making a decision to follow Jesus with all your heart, once again, remember there are prayer counselors right here, right now, standing ready to pray with you. So if you wanna click on the link below, this is your opportunity to turn to the Lord and make your peace with God. For the rest of us, let's go back into worship now, honoring the one who's loved us so.